Okay, we, we relegate our, our, our situations in different categories, but Jesus has power over all of our fears. That means whatever we are going through should not cause us to be more most concerned that this is something that Jesus can't handle. There's also there's only so much we can we can do to protect ourselves. Uh, we try as much as we can, but there's only so much we can do. Unfortunately, storms, all kinds of storms, and storms comes in, come, come in different forms. There are economic storms that people are going through, health-related storms, when people are dealing with health issues that they can't seem to get a grip on. And, uh, and then, of course, there are the literal storms, like we know about hurricanes and, and, and tornadoes and, and so on. But all these storms enter our lives and they bring havoc into our lives and they, and they leave us sometimes devastated. In moments like these, we see ourselves, we see how powerless we can be. We think we're powerful, we think we're strong, but when those hurricanes or the storms come into our lives, we find out how really powerless we really are. Only one man, Jesus Christ, has ever had full power and authority over the storms we face. And he has always had that power over all of the storms that we encounter in our lives. And so we can trust him with every single circumstance in our lives that we encounter because he's, he has power over everything. Notice the... Uh, section on your handout on page 30 it says Bible meets life let's look at that notice what it says we can expect bad days do we always expect good days do we no we expect that we're gonna have some bad days we're gonna have some not so good days so they're gonna come so we we, we can expect bad days weeks and even months they come with a with, with living on a fallen earth with a fallen humanity as a fallen child of the king and that's what we are but we are never to define peace by our circumstances which which is what a lot of people do they define peace by the circumstances that they are going through currently in their lives that's because we have a far better source for peace and for courage in fact it's the only true source Jesus told us clearly, said, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have what? Peace. In the world you will have what? And what does that mean? Problems, difficulties, trials, hardships. But take heart, for I have, I have overcome the world, he says. And so we all face uneasy times, whether it's economic, health-related, relational, or financial. These situations often cause us to feel powerless or overwhelmed. But as we'll see in this study, Jesus has power like no other. And he will use his power on our behalf. He's never reluctant to use his power on our behalf. The problem is we don't give him an opportunity to do so. We don't give him the chance to do so. He sits patiently, quietly waiting for us to call upon him to render us assistance and we just pass him by, we overlook him. So always waiting to exercise his power. And what do we do when we do that? We are saying, you know, you don't have the kind of power that I need to deal with my situation. 
we're not saying that verbally, but in our hearts, that's what we're saying. Because we relegate him to all the entities that are powerless in our world. To see what I mean, let's look at an event in Jesus' ministry where he's, he, he, he reveals his power on behalf of his followers. Now notice that the setting here is the passage in Mark's Gospel is a, is a, is a first in a collection of four miracle accounts recorded in chapters 4, 35, through chapter 5, 43. The first is a of a number of miracle accounts that immediately follow a separate collection of parables in chapter 4, all the way from verse 1 to verse 34. It's as if the gospel is validating the teachings of Jesus in these parables by following them up with demonstrations of his authority over a number of areas to show us just how powerful he really is. And those areas are showing us his authority over nature, showing his authority over demons, showing his authority over death, and showing his authority over diseases or sickness or illnesses, or whatever we want to call it. And this combination is designed to raise the question in our minds. With such comprehensive authority, why should my fears prove to be any kind of challenge to him at all? That's the question that this, this study and these uh, demonstrations that Jesus is, is giving over nature is, is causes us to think about in our minds. Look at, uh, read, uh, so someone read verse 35 to the first part of verse 38. One that day when evening had come, he said to him, let us go across to the other side. And even the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And the boat was strong outdoors, and the waves were taken into the boat, so that the boat was already full. But he was in the storm. Okay, you can stop right there. Okay, notice the phrase when, in verse 35, when evening had come, it means that this is between 3 and 6 p.m. in the afternoon. Okay, so Jesus had been busy all day ministering to the folks, and about that time of the day, he uh, they decided to move, move and go to a different location. Term the other side of the bank uh, refers to the eastern bank of the Sea of Galilee, which is it was a territory that belongs to the Gentiles at that time. And the Sea of Galilee was actually about 680 feet below sea level and was surrounded by hills, which made a tremendously unique uh, natural phenomenon when the, the storms uh, came up. And then in, in verse 36, leaving the crowd, they, they took him in the boat just as he was and they went to, decided to go over to the other side. Uh, the disciples left the crowd and uh, they decided to join Jesus. And then uh, suddenly, according to verse 37, a storm arose. It doesn't, wasn't just an ordinary storm, it says a great storm, which means it was, it was out of the ordinary. Okay, it was different from what uh, what they were normally accustomed to. And this uh, verse 37 uh, talks about the fierceness and the sudden appearance of this storm. Notice, it was great, meaning that it was violent. 
it was what we would consider hurricane force. We don't know whether it was category one, two, three, or four or five, but it was probably closer to five because it was a great, it was a great storm. And uh, it was not unusual uh, because of the location uh, where the lake was, the winds would blow across the land and would intensify, intensify close to the sea, often causing violent and unexpected storms. So they were used to unexpected storms, but they were not used to the, to, the, to the force of this particular storm. It was more violent than, than, than what they were accustomed to. And that's why you see that these men who were seasoned sailors, they'd been through many storms. They were used to that kind of stuff. They knew how to conduct themselves when storms came up, but this one, they'd never seen anything like, like it. And because it was so sudden, so violent, so unexpected, uh, it was also terrifying to them. And its suddenness and intensity made it so terrifying. And uh, so the, the Sea of Gary, surrounded by hills, and uh, when the storms came, they would, uh, ravines would funnel from the southwest downward in, onto the sea, and it would create these violent force winds. And, uh, but in an instant, in an instant, while you're sailing on calm, cool, calm waters, in an instant, everything can just erupt without any kind of warning whatsoever. And this is what happened. Uh, with uh, with the disciples and with Jesus on that boat on that day, and that's why they were so fearful. They, they probably thought the end would come. They thought the end of the world was coming. That's how violent and terrible it was. And uh, it says that the boat was taking on water. Okay, not the kind of water that they were used to. More water was coming into this boat than they were normally accustomed to. And again, they were seasoned sailors, so they were used to this kind of stuff, but this was out of the ordinary. They had never seen anything like this before. And uh, literally, the boat was, 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 was threatening to sink. So much so that the, the disciples started bailing out water uh, by the buckets. Look at uh, paragraphs on page 32. It reads, on Sundays, I preach two one-hour messages each week. I also typically have meetings with different church leaders. Needless to say, I'm worn out by the time Sunday afternoon comes along. When I get home, I head straight for my favorite chair to rest. Before I know it, I'm asleep. Jesus was reclined, wasn't reclining in an easy chair in this passage. It was night. It was dark. And it was windy. And we know that, you know, fears have a way of intensifying when it gets dark, right? When we had that blackout this weekend, a lot of people were fearful, right? You don't know what's going to happen. All right? And this is what, what Jesus was, was dealing with. The boat was rocking fiercely in the middle of a savage storm and threatened to sink. How do we fall asleep during that? Granted, Jesus was surely exhausted after a long day of teaching and ministry, but he did more than just nod off. When Jesus went to sleep on the boat, he did so on purpose. In other words, the rocking of the ship didn't cause him to fall asleep. He was tired. He had a hard day. He was rough. And, you know, he went on that boat and he grabbed that cushion and he went to sleep because he needed some rest. You know, that wasn't an accidental thing. 
you know, where he was just sitting and all the disciples were working hard and they weren't doing nothing and he got bored and he just eventually fell asleep. No, that was intentional. He intentionally went on that boat to sleep, to get some rest. How do I know this, he says. Verse 38 says, he was asleep on the cushion. Jesus had grabbed a pillow and moved to the back of the boat, the less active part of the boat. Nothing was happening in the... When you're stretched out on, asleep on a pillow, you mean to be that way, right? When you go and, and, and you lay on your bed and you grab a pillow and you stretch out, that's intentional, right? That's not hit and miss. That's something that you intend to do. And so the whole idea is when Jesus grabbed that pillow and went to the back of the boat, he intended to go there to sleep. Not just to sit around and watch the disciples do their do, do what they do. Okay, so it was intentional. And uh, one of the things that we note here, uh, this is the only instance recorded in the Gospels in which Jesus was specifically identified as being asleep. This is, the, this, this is a unique passage where we are told that Jesus is identified as being asleep. But how could Jesus sleep through such a squall where the disciples feared for their lives? Or in other words, all hell was broken loose. And he was sound asleep like a baby. How could that happen? He was asleep. He was sound asleep. Sound asleep. You know, you know, for some people it don't take much to wake them up. Okay, but some people are described as boy when he go to sleep, he sleeps like a rock. Well, that could be a description of Jesus here. You think he was asleep? He was asleep. He was sound asleep. The Bible says he was asleep. And if the Bible says he was asleep, he was asleep, okay? okay. Perhaps he wanted to see if they would trust what he said more than the circumstances around them. Jesus had already told them what they were going to do. He said, let us go across to the other side. He planned to reach the far shore safe and sound. No storm would alter his plan. Now notice, he planned, he said, let's go over to the other side. He planned to go over to the other side. And because Jesus is God, he is all-knowing. And all-knowing meant that he knew a storm was going to come. The disciples didn't know it, but he knew it because he's all-knowing. And because he's all-knowing, he knew that storm was going to come, but he also knew what the disciples never even thought of, we're going to make it to the other side of that shore no matter what. Come hell or high water, like they say. We're going to make it to the other, the other side of the shore. Storm or no storm, nothing was going to change the plan that Jesus had to go over to the other side of the shore. Notice the question on page 32. In what ways do, you, do we typically respond to frightening situations? In what ways do we typically or we normally respond to frightening situations? Now, we're not asking here uh, the correct way to respond. Okay? We're asking for different ways people respond when they're afraid. We know the correct way to respond. Trust Jesus, right? Okay. Pray, okay? That's one. Lord, help me. You know, and some people who don't, know, who don't even pray call in Jesus' name. Screaming. No hollering. No hollering. What else? How, how else do people respond? Retreat. Huh? Retreat. 
Retreat? Yeah, they just get scared and like, oh, no, whatever. Okay. Okay, and we've heard of, we've heard of situations where people have been on aircraft and uh, things started to get turbulent and one fella said, this lady grabbed his leg and she thought he was going to pull his leg off. And she started hollering and calling Jesus and all kinds of stuff. You know, but it's amazing how people respond. People who don't even, who don't even have any kind of relationship with the Lord. All of a sudden, they call on Jesus when they get into these situations. Well, the disciples responded the same way. Uh, they, uh, they, were, they, they, they typified the different ways people respond when they are frightened. Not the correct way, the different ways they respond. Now look at the, the final part of paragraph on page 32. Jesus' disciples did what we often do when we listen to a sermon or participate in a Bible study they heard the message without applying the meaning. They heard the message without applying the meaning. Now one of the things that happens when we hear a sermon or we go to a Bible study is we are tested afterwards. The devil says to us, oh yeah, we're going to see how much you learned in that Bible study. Or we're going to see how much you, you listen to that message. And right afterward, we're going to go out and we're going to get into an experience that is going to require us to apply what we've learned in that Bible study or what we heard in that sermon. But guess what? We forget all about that stuff. Because the circumstances are so terrifying, we don't even think about the sermon. We don't even think about the Bible study. And this is exactly what happened with the, with the disciples. They went through all that they went through. Jesus, remember, Jesus was teaching all that day. And there were a whole lot of things that Jesus taught that they could have applied in this particular situation. But they didn't. They heard the words, but missed the promise. When, we find, when, you, when you find yourself in a problem, don't forget the promise. Remember what Jesus said. He's right there with you, so trust Him to calm the waves. Whatever the waves are in our lives, we can trust Jesus to calm those waves. And so, at this point in the story, Jesus was still asleep. As we move on, we'll see what happened after the disciples woke Him up. Uh, verse uh, 38b, the last part of 38, on to verse 39. Someone read those, please. For he was in the stirring to sleep on the cushion, and they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care for the perishing? And he awoke and rebuked him and said to the sleep, Peace and still. And they ceased, and there was a great time. Okay, that's it. You stop right there. Now look at the look at the passage, uh, the first paragraph on page thirty-three. Notice what it says: the location of the Sea of Galilee in the Jordan Rift causes tempests to flare up violently with little or no notice, as we mentioned already. In the deepest dark of the night, out in the middle of the sea, the storm surely must have caught the disciples off guard. We saw that. The storm tested not only their boating expertise, but also their what? Their emotions. It tested their boat. Remember that they were seasoned fishermen, seamen? They were used to this kind of stuff. 
So their expertise as, as experienced fishermen and seamen were tested, but also their emotions were tested. Even though the disciples were seasoned fishermen who had spent their lives fishing on this huge lake, very familiar with it, they panicked. Notice what they said, and, and, and uh, their, their question had the force of a rebuke. In other words, they was in a, in a, in a kind of sideways way rebuking Jesus for not doing what they felt he should have done. Notice, don't you care? Don't you care we're going to die? I mean, you don't care about us? That's the question that they're asking. That's kind of a sly rebuke. By addressing him as teacher, they roused him from his sleep. Based on the terms of the Greek words rendered sleeping in verse 8, the implication conveyed is that Jesus' sleep was so deep and peaceful that the disciples had difficulty waking him up. You ever had a, a, a person who was in a deep sleep and you had problems waking him up? Well, that's, that's the kind of sleep that Jesus was in. And, and we know that because of how violent the storm was, and the storm didn't even wake him up. The disciples had to probably go and, and shake him up, and probably a couple of them had to go and pick him up, and probably bounce him up and down or something like that, to wake him up. But he was in such a, and that's, a, that's what the, 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 the term of the Greek word sleeping renders, that he was in such a deep and peaceful, not only deep sleep, but peaceful sleep. Okay, nothing was shaking him. And so they had to wake him up. And so, the question's bluntness is further evidence that at this point, the disciples had no idea that they were addressing deity. They had no idea, no clue, that they were actually addressing the incarnate Son of God. Because we know that from the expression uh, that they use, who is this man? Who is this guy? We've been hanging out with him for a while, and, and this experience caused them to realize we don't really know who this fellow is. Notice the second paragraph on page 33. Sometimes it doesn't seem like God is in tune with our situations. Do you feel like that sometimes? You're going through some stuff, and, and uh, you're praying to God, and you're asking God for help, and it seems as if you know God is on, not on the same page with you. We feel like that sometimes. When we find ourselves in stormy conditions, health, financial, relational, job, troubles, we may want to say, Jesus, please wake up. We're in a mess and we're afraid. You know, because it feels that way sometimes. Notice the question on page 33. How have you learned that God really does care about his people? How have you learned personally that God really cares about his people? What experience have you had that have taught you how much God cares about his people? And I know we've all had experiences where God delivered us, God did some things in our lives that we never even imagined that he would do. I had an experience one time, and I probably told you about this, I was driving to um, to Pensacola from Jacksonville, just me, and um, was going to Pensacola um, Christian to pick up some material because we were homeschooling our children at that time, and they were here in Nassau, and so I was driving up and got a car, at the rental car early that morning, checked out the weather, because what we normally do, we drove a lot all over the place, wherever we went we drove, 
hardly ever flew. And so we would, we were custom uh, procedure. Okay, we check the weather. Why would the weather's going to be like tomorrow in certain places where we're going to be driving through to make sure that we're going to be able to leave in certain time to compensate for the delays because of the weather. And so we went through all that routine and all that stuff. Did all that, got on the road and uh, driving through Tallahassee. And there was a road sign that said, uh, road merges 500 feet ahead. And so I had the cruise control on at that time, because we normally did that too, put it on cruise, and so you, you, it was a way of avoiding breaking the speed limit. Because you know, sometimes people have heavy feet. You know, so we had the cruise on, going at the, exactly at the speed limit. And so the traffic was going smoothly, and uh, I said, you know what, I'll stay in this lane, and when I get further up, then I'll merge. I'll cut off the cruise and merge. Well, there was another guy who had the same idea, so he cut in front of me. And uh, because he cut it so suddenly, I reaction was hit the brakes, and you don't do that. So I hit the brakes, and all hell broke loose. All you could hear was bam, brigadum, bam, 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 bam. And when the smoke cleared, the air bike had deployed, and uh, there was smoke coming out of the dashboard, and uh, people were running to the car and asking, "Are you okay? Are you okay?" And I remember particularly a nurse came to the car window, and it felt like my right hand was on fire, but there was no fire. Apparently the seat belt, boy, that seat belt can really burn you up. I got thrown like a rag doll about that car, so much so that this whole arm was, was scorched by the seat belt. And uh, this lady came, are you okay? Do I need to call an ambulance and everything? But there were four cars in that smash up. The car I was driving was totaled. And there were three other cars. And the police came and uh, they took quite a few hours called the rental car agency and I said, you know, I've, I've been in a wreck. I, I need to know what to do. I've never, this never happened before. Where are you? Well, I'm in Tallahassee. Well, they said, you can come to the nearest uh, uh, rental car place and uh, we'll deal with it. When I got there after, and guess what? I got a ticket. I got a ticket. For, the tow truck driver says, uh, can he go? Said to the state trooper, can we, can we take him now? Can he go? No, I've got to give him a ticket. I said, what? Well, I got the ticket. Well, he explained why I got the ticket. And so that was acceptable. So I went into the rental car place, and uh, when I drove in, the guy came, and he says, Wow, what did you hit? A deer? The car was wrecked. And I had a, a, a it was a compact car. And uh, so they gave me another car. Uh, they, they upgraded me. By the way, they gave me a mid-class, and, and by, by the time I got, because I started with a full tank of gas, and by the time the accident happened, it was half a tank. That's how much I'd driven. They gave me another car, which was an upgrade, which was a full tank of gas. And I tell you, it took a lot of nerves to get back on the road to continue my journey. Okay, because my arm is still, still, still bothering me. But I learned from that experience that God protects his own. I was able to get into Tallahassee, into Pensacola, get the material, drive back home without incident, and then come to Nassau. But, you know, that experience taught me how much God cares about his people. I could have been dead. Okay? The car was totally, it was, it was done for. You know, when they asked me, is the car drivable? I said, no, ma'am. You know, but that's one incident that I have had. We have learned how God cares. And by the way, I took out that, what they call a uh, collision damage waiver. You know, you have that option. They said, if you, if you take this, you can walk away from an accident. And I did. But a lawsuit came later on. A lawsuit came on. And that's another way God protects and cares for his people. About a year later, I was at home in, back in Jacksonville. 
and uh, I was walking through the gate. We had a problem with the sewer, and I was dealing with the city trying to get the sewer cleared, which is out of the main road. I walked through this gate, and this guy passed me at the gate. He went through. Hey, how you doing? And when I went back in the house, my my wife gave me this envelope, and I opened it, and it was it was a uh, it was a summons. I was being sued along with the car company for that same accident, which was a, a year later. You know, and uh, well, we committed that to the Lord, and the next day I got another letter. And that letter came from uh, a law firm in Tallahassee that said that we have been uh, hired to represent you in this lawsuit, you and the car company in this lawsuit. And they were suing for $15,000, and uh, we committed that to the Lord. I remember, at that particular, I remember, uh, I've just been reading a passage where uh, God had, had, one of his servants had that experience, and he took this letter and spread it before the Lord, and the Lord took care of it. But I did the same thing, prayed for the Lord, and the Lord took care of that, and uh, this is how I've learned that God really does care, because that lawsuit, we were there for five years, because that was the, 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 the max on our... Uh, religious visa because we were there doing religious work and we were there for that five years and we we came home we left after our five years we came home and the lawsuit was still going on when we got back home I got a letter from the lawyer saying the lawsuit has been settled out of court with prejudice for ten thousand dollars it didn't cost me a dime they said in the fact and they said in the letter uh, if you need to do a deposition we'll come to Jacksonville rather than you coming to Tallahassee. Never cost me a dime, never cost me a, a postage stamp. And I came up with a whole box full of documents because every couple of days they were sending these documents with diagrams of the accidents and how the cars were merged and how they hit and all kinds of stuff. I never even read some of that stuff. I just took it and threw it in the box. But I'm saying all that to say that this is how God cares about his people. You commit stuff to him, he'll take care of it. He will take care of it. And guess what? We're going to stop. Our time is gone. But I believe we get the message that Jesus wants to, wants to convey here. And uh, we'll pick up when we come back, Lord willing, next Lord's Day.